Well, here's what I'd like to do. I want you to think about vacation, okay? I want you to think about vacation. Where have you gone? Maybe you're planning for a new one down the road. Maybe you've just been on one this summer. I want to ask you this. What goes into the planning process of your vacation? When you're planning out vacation, did you go somewhere that your family has already been? Or uh, maybe a place where you already have family and you're visiting family there? Did you go somewhere that people said, you need to go here? Or is it just somewhere you've always wanted to be? And once you figured that out, did you talk to people about when you're getting there, what's it going to be like, what to expect? Uh, did you do any kind of research? See, for our, our, our recent vacation, I knew which direction we wanted to go a couple of years ago. We said we wanted to go out west, but we had no idea until we started looking at plane tickets. Then we started asking various people, and then we landed on going to Arizona. And then we figured out once we got to Arizona, then we started asking different people who've been to Arizona, who live in Arizona, hey, what should we see? What should we do? What do you recommend? So we used their advice. We took a couple of years of saving up our money, and uh, we made plans for a week-long excursion, and we looked forward to our trip. Now, this is what we did. We listened to those we trusted. We asked questions and said, what do you think? So on the advice of, of some people, this is what we did. First of all, the Kriegers told us you need to go Camelback uh, and hike up Camelback Mountain. So thank you, Patty, for that, and Bailey's. Uh, uh, she was actually helped us on a couple of hikes. You can't read it, but the sign says most extremely difficult hike. <clears throat> Again, thank you, Kriegers. No, it was good. It was a good hike. Uh, we loved it. Uh, but of course, being an average of 112 degrees out there on a daily basis, uh, we had to get up like at 6 o'clock in the morning. Well, we had to be at the mountain at 6 to start our hike while it was still in the 80s and 90s and not get too hot. Uh, but it's a fantastic hike. Of course, there's a few of you that have already been to the Grand Canyon that are in here and talked to some of you about that. And I want my, my cousin Jimmy had just been out there a few months ago, and he said, hey, when you get to the Grand Canyon, what you need to do is take this side road, the first dirt road you come to, take a left, park your vehicle. It looks like a service road. There probably won't be anybody there. Hike 15, 20 minutes, and you can see the picture on the far, uh, be on your far right. Um, Jenny and my nephew, um, there's no walls, there's no sidewalks, there's no railings. It's the edge of the canyon. And uh, we hiked and stumbled across, and for the next two hours, we just hiked along the rim, and it was beautiful. Um, as we sang this last song, I, I had one regret, and that was I wish I would have sang at the canyon. Uh, I wish I would have sang How Great Thou Art. Uh, the third place was Mike and Rhonda's. Yes, Borton's. Thank you very much. You're, you have a restaurant out there in Flagstaff. Uh, and, and I'm telling you, their servings were way too big. Um, and, but we had somebody say, you need to go to Mike and Rhonda's. And it wasn't Mike and Rhonda that told us that. Um, but somebody said, there's a place called Mike and Rhonda's. And we said, let's go. So we took the advice of all these different people and we went to those locations and, and we had a blast. But let me ask you, switching as you can already see on the screen, another question. But what about eternity? In planning for eternity. We plan for vacations. We plan for trips. We plan for excursions. We plan for what we're going to do for lunch or supper, right? But how are we doing with planning for eternity? And some of you are like, I already made the decision. I'm done. I'm going to fight that one and say, you're not quite done yet. Um, but I want to ask, how long have you been preparing 
When was the last time heaven and hell came up in a discussion with you or in a conversation with anybody? It seems that the only time we talk about heaven and hell is when uh, there, there's, there's death, right? If there's a funeral, we're talking about heaven and hell. If we walk into a hospital, our minds start thinking maybe eternity, uh, life after death. Um, maybe it's, it's you're watching a movie, a TV show, a subject comes up there in a book you're reading, and all of a sudden you're thinking about life after death, heaven and hell. Or this morning when Jeff walked in and, and shared with us the tragic news about his brother's fiance passing away, all of a sudden your mind goes to life after death. What's going to happen? What happens when a child or, or parents, you might have had this happen, your child leans over to you in a moment like this and, and they, they, they sort of say, hey, can you tell me what's going to happen when I die? What do, you, what do you say to your child? I was seven years old up in my room and my brother in his bed sort of talks over across the room to me and says, hey, when you die, you're going to burn in hell. Oh, that's something you don't tell a seven-year-old, by the way. Okay. Of course, what did I do as a seven-year-old? Went crying to my mama, as I've told you that story before, right? But it was in that moment that I wanted to know more about heaven and hell. But the, the truth is, we will all eventually die, right? I know it sounds morbid, okay? But death is real. We can't beat it. We have this terminal disease called mortality. And right now, there's the current death rate is at 100%, okay? Hasn't changed. Will never change. So it's something we got to face in reality. What does the Bible say about death? In the book of Psalm 39:45, it says this, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are, are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You've made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is, not just, is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. So when we die, there is an afterlife. There is an eternal life. Archaeologists have studied ancient cultures. And, and one of their discoveries is that virtually every single culture that's ever existed has believed in an afterlife. But where? Right? Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, God has also set eternity in the human heart. God has placed in every human being an, an intuition, a, a knowledge that there's life after death. We, we know it. It's, it's in our hearts. We know this, right? And for us as Christians, in keeping in truth with what God's word has to say, we believe that there is heaven and hell. That's what we believe to be true as followers of Christ. And as a follower of Christ, I am very interested in heaven, aren't you? Of course, movies and books have skewed our thoughts of what heaven's like. We sort of look at heaven now and we sort of have this warped vision, right? We don't really have a clear understanding of maybe what heaven is like and, or what hell is like. And so we need to go to the Bible to see this. We need to know more about heaven and hell. So when we talk about heaven. What we, what we, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when I say heaven? Streets of gold? No more crying? No more pain? Right? Those are usually the first things that come up and maybe a few other things. But after that, it gets a little foggy, you know, and we're like, oh, we sort of fade off. And I, well, I know some about heaven, right? No doubt heaven is not exactly what I think it's going to be, and it's going to be even more than I can ever imagine. No doubt about it. But let's switch locations. What about hell? 
That's a place that scares me. It should scare you too. It should do the same thing that it did to me as a seven-year-old. It should do the same thing to me now that I'm over 50. I should be scared. You should be scared too. Matter of fact, Francis Chan, the author and pastor, said this. He said, hell should not be studied without tearful prayers. We must weep, pray, and fast over this issue, begging God to reveal to us through his word the truth about hell. Because we can't be wrong on this one. Eternity is nothing to guess at. Heaven or hell. Now I sent out a weekly email to the church this week. And uh, I love it. It was an opportunity for everybody to participate in a survey. So if you got the email, you saw the survey, you can click on there. I think it was five simple questions. And you all did a great job in sharing. And I'll, I will share some of those uh, as we go along here this week and the, the following week. Um, yes, a lot of great questions. Um, but when it comes to eternity, how much thought do you put into it? I think that's one of my questions. How often do you think about heaven? Often, not really, a lot. Everybody had different answers. Here's the thing. Do we worry more about our vacations or our de- weekend destinations or where we're going to eat for lunch than we do about heaven? Or because we've already made a personal decision to surrender our life to Christ and we believe, well, heaven's already secured. Boom, I'm done. I don't have to think about it anymore, right? I can just step back from it. I don't have to think about it anymore. Chip Ingram, another author, pastor said this, a clear picture of your tomorrows will transform how you live your todays. In other words, your thoughts, your meditations, your understanding of heaven right now will affect tomorrow and how we live. It's one of the best questions um, about heaven that I received because there's a lot. There's there's probably, I want to say there's 49 responses and there was probably 30-something questions. Now, a lot of them were duplicated, maybe worded just a little differently, but asking the same kind of question. So I have about actually about 20 questions to try to help answer here over the next few weeks. But there was one great question, and this was the question. How can you answer these questions when you've never been there? That is a fair question. That is a great question. I don't know who asked it, but uh, kudos to you. Um, and that is a great question because a lot of times, have you seen pastors or people in profession where they're, they're asked a question? It's like they've never done it themselves. They've never been there, but yet they're telling you how to do it, Right? I want somebody who's been there to help answer how to get there. Does that make sense? Sort of like our vacation. I want to know who's been there. You tell me about what experience did you have? What should we do? I I want to experience it, right? So I'm going to do what our family did for vacation. I'm going to ask others. I'm going to go to the stories of other people and, and say, what did they have to say about heaven? But I won't be going to any stories that happened in the past few years. I'm not going to go to any books or movies that talked about heaven in the last few years. I'm going to go back a little bit further um, to the greatest book that's ever written that has a lot to say about heaven. It's this book right here. You've probably seen it, right? It's called the Bible. That's where we're going to get our information about heaven and hell. That's where we're going to study from. That's where we're going to seek. So as we study heaven and hell, we use God's word because our views, our misunderstandings of what other people's opinions can be about heaven and hell could very easily cripple our faith. Does that make sense? Thanks to those books and movies and even cartoons, you know, we expect heaven to be a place where we get our wings, right? It's a wonderful life. Remember that movie? 
as an angel, you know, you want to get your wings. Or where we float around, or there's a lot of harp music going on, right? And the ground, you can't even see the ground because there's sort of a mist, cloudy, and maybe we're walking on clouds. I know there's streets of gold, but yet the pictures I've seen, there's a lot of clouds there, right? Harps are playing. Oh, and somebody, uh, as we even talked about it being like a really long church service. Some people picture that heaven could be that way. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. I'm a pastor. I love going to church. I love being a part of a church. I love attending a worship service, even if I'm not involved in it. If I'm just worshiping, I love it. But let me tell you something. You get past two hours, I will admit, I'm ready to step out and take a break. Okay? I'm, you, some of you might think, well, you're a pastor. Shouldn't you be able to sit in church all day? I can't. Sorry. Okay? Um, I know my level may just drop down a few with you. But here's the thing. I have an earthly negative attitude. There's a part of me that in life isn't always positive. There's disinterest that grows into my life at times. Sometimes I can be apathetic towards things. But here's the thing. When I get to heaven, I believe all that's gone. My disinterest in things, my apathetic nature, maybe my unhappiness or complaining attitude, that's gone. So if, if, if heaven were to be, a three, four, or long church service, guess what? Most likely in my new life in Christ in heaven, I'm probably going to love it. And you would too. There's no way we can take our attitudes of today and say, oh, this is what it's going to be like in heaven. I don't know if I can handle that. Well, you'll be able to handle it because you won't have that attitude in heaven. Follow me? I remember in college, uh, I didn't want to die or Jesus to come back and take me to heaven until I got married. See, I wanted to experience the married life. Hashtag honeymoon, okay? Um, I also read about another couple. They were planning a trip, and they were going to go to Hawaii. They did not want Jesus to come back before that because they wanted to experience Hawaii, okay? Now, I'm thinking about those things, and, and here's what happens when our thoughts go that way. We aren't clear on what heaven is like, but for some reason, we're pretty sure it's not as good as a honeymoon or a trip to Hawaii, right? The fact that we won't want Jesus to come back until we experience those things. So heaven must not be as good as those things. Isn't that skewed thinking? Isn't that wrong thinking? It's amazing and impossible that maybe we are so comfortable with where we are here in this life that our desire for heaven isn't all that great. Maybe that's why we don't talk about heaven. Because maybe we don't really understand what it's about. And it isn't until a tragedy strikes, all of a sudden, Oh, heaven and hell. Wonder what's going to happen. In your Bibles, open them up. I'm going to start digging in and start seeing what God has to say about heaven. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to start in the very first verse there and see what Paul has to say. So get past Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You're going to get to a small book of the Bible. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Beginning in verse 1, it says this. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Let me say it again. Set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Verse 2. Think about the things of heaven. Not the things of the earth. 
For you died to this life. Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Paul starts off and says, listen, i got a couple commands for you. Two commands, two direct commands to set our hearts and our minds on heaven. To set your hearts means to, to seek, and you're seeking in order to find. You are seeking something. You're inquiring about it. You're trying to find something out. You're striving after. You're craving. You're demanding to, to accomplish and in, in, in getting this thing that you're looking for. This same word to seek after is used in the New Testament, in the Gospels, when it says Jesus... The Son of Man came to seek that which was lost. Jesus came seeking and searching in order to discover and find those who are lost. The same word is used in talking about the woman who searched for the lost coin. Or the merchant who searched for the, the, uh, the fine pearl. It's a diligent, active, single-minded investigation. I'm going to discover what this is. The same word is used in 1 Peter 5.8 when it talks about Satan is seeking people to devour. Paul's telling us we're to be seeking in our hearts, in our minds, after the realities of heaven. Set your minds on heaven, on the heavenly things. We should be seeking it. And what here's the, the part where I always need help with when I'm studying is when I look at the Greek. I, Sunday mornings I read out of the New Living translation uh, on Sunday morning, studied different translations throughout the week. And when I go back and I look at the Greek, which is the New Testament's written in, it, Paul tells us using a present tense usage of this word, meaning it's an ongoing process. When he says to set our hearts and our minds on Christ or on the realities of heaven, he isn't saying just do it once. Hey, today, make sure you do it. He said, no, it's an ongoing thing throughout the day. In the very next verse, it says we're to set our minds. So we're directing not only our hearts, but our minds to a thing, to seek, to strive, to seek one's interest. Again, he's reimplying the same command, suggesting that, you know what, this isn't an automatic thing. So I'm going to have to remind you again with this command. Often in the Bible, when we see commands, it's, it's assumed that there's a resistance to obeying them, which sets up the necessity for the command. We're told to avoid sexual immorality in the Bible. Why? Because it's our tendency to fall into that trap. We're not told to avoid jumping off bridges. Why is that? Because normally we don't battle those kind of temptations. So the command to think about heaven is under attack in many different ways. Our tendency is to do what? Focus on earthly things, right? Right? We focus on our bank accounts. We focus on our material things. We focus on relationships. We focus on our pleasures. We focus on our problems. We focus on negative things, how we currently feel. That's the focus that we tend to have. That's why Paul says, I'm going to give you a command. I'm going to give it to you twice, and it's an ongoing command. You need to set your hearts. You need to seek after. You need to focus on that which is heavenly, things of heaven. The place that's been prepared for us by Jesus Christ. What will heaven be like? Who will be there? What will we do? So many questions, right? We're going to focus on the the most important note of heaven. And that is this. 
we will see Jesus. We're going to see Jesus. You know, I know, and this is one of the most, probably one of the most asked questions. I know we all want to see relatives. We want to see loved ones that have passed away. Will we recognize them? Will we recognize people from the Old Testament, New Testament? And we'll talk about that next week. But the place to begin is this. We're going to see Jesus. We're going to enjoy him. It's a simple matter of priority. The one who died for us, right? The one who walked on water. The one who healed all sickness. The lame, the blind. He even raised the dead. He was a miracle worker. The one who gave up his life on a blood-stained cross who went to pay the price for our life, we get to meet. The one who blasted out of the tomb and rose from the dead victorious on that third day. Sit there and think, don't you want to meet the mighty one who saved us from the clutches of hell? Meeting Jesus is the beginning of a spiritual reunion. Church, I want to encourage you. When we start thinking about heaven and hell, as, as, as I sit there and think, oh, I can't wait to see my dad again. That is true. But I need to also sit there and think, but I get to see Jesus. And that is even greater. That is even better. And it's so hard because of where maybe I am in, as a human being, right? And I'm not sure about you, but um, a lot of times, sometimes people aren't big, big fans of reunions. In, immediate family reunions? Oh, yeah, yeah. But when you start going on to third, fourth, fifth, sixth different cousins down the line, and you, maybe you don't know half the people, and it's like, oh, it's always a little awkward. I don't know people. And maybe you get a little nervous about it. Some people think, oh, is that what heaven's going to be like? And they all get nervous about heaven then, right? Oh, I'm going to see somebody. I don't know. What if I don't know? And, oh, there's a bunch of people everywhere. And probably that's the wrong picture of heaven. The thing that's going to make heaven a true home is knowing that Jesus is there. Dwight L. Moody uh, used to tell a story about a child whose mother became sick. And, and in this story, he said, while the mother was sick, one of the neighbors came and they, they took the, little, the, the mother's little daughter and took him into their home. And they took care of her while her mom was sick and, and, uh, and they were hoping that mom would get well and the daughter could come home and be with mom again. Unfortunately, mother didn't get well. She got worse and she ended up dying. Well, the neighbors who were taking care of the daughter and trying to figure out what to do. And they thought maybe they wouldn't take the child home until after the funeral. So they decided to do that thinking they would not tell her about her mother being dead. So after a while, they brought the girl home. The girl came into the home and at once she went to go to the room where her mom always sat and her mom wasn't there. And then she went to the bedroom where her mom was sleep sometimes and she wasn't there. And she went to another room. She went to room after room after room looking for her mom and she couldn't find her mom. So she went back to her neighbors that were standing there in the, by the door and said, where's my mama? They told her that her mama's gone. And the child said, can we go back to your house now? Home had lost its attraction because the one she loved was no longer there. So she wanted to go back with the neighbors. D.L. Moody writes, it's not the jasper walls and the pearly gates that are going to make heaven attractive. It's being with God. 
That's what makes heaven what it is. In your Bibles, turn to the book of John, chapter 14. Well, we know what Paul starts to say. Paul has much more to say about heaven and hell. And again, we will continue to, to seek out scripture and in studying this. We're going to go to the book of John now. John chapter 14. And as you're turning there, sort of put ourselves in what just happened. Jesus has washed the feet of his disciples. Judas had left to go betray Jesus. They finished the Lord's Supper. Jesus is now with his trusted 11. And what is he going to say to them? What strategic plan do you lay out? Jesus knows his hours are limited. Jesus knows what lies ahead for the men that are sitting around him at that table. He knows they're going to be rejected. He knows that he knows that they're going to be persecuted. He knows each one will be martyrs for their faith. He knows who's going to deny him. He knows who's going to run in the garden. He knows that their families will experience pain in living out the Christian life after he is gone. So what do you say to these men? Look at John chapter 14, starting in verse 1. We'll read to verse 3. Verse 1 says, don't be troubled. See, I'm going to stop right there. He already knows what's going on. Has he told them, hey guys, I'm going to get arrested in a few hours and then I'm going to be crucified. Now he's hinted at it, he's sort of mentioned that, but he isn't in the last few hours and said, oh hey guys, it's happening. Judas just left to go get them. They're coming. He hasn't done that. But he knows their trouble. He knows their hearts just as God knows us. He knows that this is what's going to happen in their life and when I'm gone, they're going to scatter. They're going to, they're going to lock themselves in a room and... and fearfully wait for themselves to be arrested. So what does he tell them? Don't be troubled. You trust God, now trust in me. Look at verse 2. There are many rooms in my Father's home. I'm going to prepare a place for you. If this were not so, I would tell you plainly. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Incredible words of Jesus Christ, aren't they? Set your minds on eternity, men. Don't be troubled. Trust me as you trust God. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Oh, my, my, my father's home, so many rooms. There's a room for you. Peter, I know you like fishing, so in your room... There's going to be a, a net hanging in the corner and there's going to be a, a big picture of, of some fish that you've caught you out on the boat and we'll have a nice big fish just mounted over that fireplace. That's your room, Peter, because I know you and I'm preparing a room for you. Matthew, oh, I've got a room for you too. Jesus knew exactly who these men are and what he had to do and prepare for them. And he said, get your minds on eternity. Have a clear view of eternity. A future home in heaven that would sustain them during these troubling times. So when persecution comes, what can they be thinking about? You know, Jesus told me not to be troubled, but he's preparing a place for me. I'm going to set my mind on eternity. When life would get tough and persecution would arrive, the hope of heaven would sustain them and motivate them to persevere. But you know what happens to us? We get this. 
I'm trying to set my mind on heaven. But what does Satan do? The liar of all liars, according to John 8, 44. Satan loves to lie and whisper into our ears, oh, you're not loved. Oh, this isn't a good situation for you. He likes to get our mind, our focus off of heavenly things and focus on earthly things. And suddenly we're troubled again, aren't we? Jesus recognizes that their hearts were troubled and would be troubled even more. And he knew the arrest, the trials, the the crucifixion were coming. The denying, the, the running, the hiding was right around the corner. And so Jesus reassured them, trust me, trust me. You trust God, also trust me. He's been trustworthy at this point, hasn't he? He did not let the boat sink when it became heavy with all the fish. Or when the storms came, the boat didn't sink. When the crowds gathered in with stones to stone them, they were not harmed. When the demon-possessed men came after him, they weren't harmed. They could trust Jesus. He was trustworthy. When he was hungry, he fed them. He is trustworthy. God says, I have a home. And it's big. And there's plenty of room for everybody. And Jesus tells them that there's a place that he's prepared for them. Because he knows them. It's been uniquely prepared for them. I believe he tells us the same thing. And he says this. Hey, when it's ready. When the room's ready. And when we're ready, I'll come get you. I'll come get you. And I'll take you where I am. And we'll be together. That's heaven. Jesus pointed their minds and their hearts to heaven. So as we dig into God's word and see what God says about heaven, listen, it's not just good to do that. It's commanded. We're commanded to look into God's word. To see what he has to say about heaven, about eternity. And when God gives us that command, it's for our benefit. Discuss heaven. Talk about it. Set your mind on it. You would do the same with vacation, wouldn't you? Hey, knowing that our trip to the Grand Canyon was pretty awesome, pretty phenomenal, guess what we've done? On the way home, we were already talking about the next trip. All right, let's start saving up. Two years from now, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? We're going to plan this out again? Absolutely. Hey, who are we going to invite to take with us? Should we invite a couple more of our nephews? I mean, not only did we enjoy it together, like we want others to experience it too. Do the same thing with heaven. Talk about it. Plan about it. Who do you want to invite to heaven? Who do you want to be there with you? Next week, we're going to look into God's word. We're going to answer that, that number one question that you were all asking. And it was a good one. But we recognize family members and, 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 and who's going to be there. Old Testament, New Testament people, children, all that kind of. There's some great questions. We're going to, we're going to dig into that. Those are great questions. But, but listen, let's remember this as we do this. What is heaven about? It's not about me and what I want to see in heaven as far as the personal things. No pain, no tears. I want to see my family members. Those are all good things, okay? Sounds sort of selfish, though. Is it about saving myself from hell? Reunion with loved ones? And I'm going to say, yes, heaven... It is about those things, but there's more. There's so much more. The real focus on heaven is what? The presence of God and being with Jesus. Like the wise men who came before Jesus and bowed and gave their treasures. Like Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus and just devotedly listened. Like the woman who poured the perfume over the feet of Jesus and her tears came out and she used her hair to wipe his feet. That 
is where our focus should be. Being in the presence of Jesus. Being in the presence of God. To go to heaven, that's what it is. A glorified relationship with our Savior being experienced. All the other things that we'll talk about, it's just like what we say. Cherry on the top, icing on the top. That's typically what we say, right? But I do want to say this, church, remember, not everybody's going to experience this. The reality of heaven and hell is that not everyone is going to experience heaven. The Bible doesn't teach or proclaim that everyone goes to heaven. And the Bible also, when you ask, well, isn't there a second chance, like after I die, isn't there a second chance to get things right with God? Never preached about, never taught about in the Bible. Matter of fact, it preaches against that. It teaches against that. It's not there. There's a scripture, and I'll read this to you real quick. It's, it's in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 13, verses 22 to 30. It says this, Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he went, always pressing on towards Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? He replied, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. For many will try to enter, but fail. When the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late. You'll stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you've come from. Then you'll say, but we ate and we drank with you and you, we taught in our streets. He'll reply, I tell you, I don't know you or where you come from. Get away from me, all you who do evil. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for you'll see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you will be thrown out. Church, hell is real. And it should wake us from a spiritual slumber. Those who have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ will find themselves there with no second chance. Heaven is real. As Christians, those who have repented of our sins, we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ. We have new life in him. And heaven is real. And now we set our hearts and our minds on heaven. So just as I would plan for a next trip and who I want to invite, we should be thinking, who am I inviting to heaven? And again, it's not just about saving them from hell. It's being in the presence of God. Seeing Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. And as they come forward, in the book of John, um, we pick back up and in that scripture we read in John chapter 14, verse 4, it said this. Jesus said, and, and you know where I'm going, right? He just told him, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And, and he goes, and you know where I'm going? And then one of the disciples says, like, no, we don't, Lord. We don't know where you're going. It was Thomas. You know, I, we have no idea. We have no idea how to get there. What is the way? And Jesus said this. is one of the greatest I am statements. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. It's in that moment, Jesus says, this, even though it sounds controversial, this is the truth. You want to be with me? You want to worship with me? You want to worship me and worship God? You want to be in our presence and be in heaven? I'm the only way. There's no other way to heaven. <clears throat> Ruthanna Metzger, she was a professional singer. She shared several years ago, she was asked to sing at the wedding of a very wealthy man. This took place out uh, in Seattle. 
And according to the invitation, the reception was going to be held on two floors of Seattle's Columbia Tower, which is the northwest tallest skyscraper. So she and her husband, Roy, were excited about attending. As they got to the reception, these waiters were in tuxedos and they were offering the hors d'oeuvres and and, uh, exotic beverages. And the the bride and the groom approached, just eloquently dressed. There's this beautiful glass and brass stairway that went up to the second floor. Somebody came and they cut a satin ribbon. The ribbon fell and the bride and groom ascended up to the second floor. And as they ascended up to the second floor, it was announced that the guests can now follow them to the, the uh, wedding feast. At the top of the stairs, there was this maitre d' and he had this book opened. And he, people came forward. He would say, may I have your name, please? Ruthanna and her husband, Roy, walked up. And she goes, I am Ruthanna Metzger, and this is my husband, Roy. And he searched the M's. And he said, I'm not finding it. Would you please spell it? So she spelled out her name. She spelled it slowly. And after searching the book, the maitre d' looked up and said, I'm sorry, but your name isn't here. Well, there must be some mistake, Ruth Anna replied. I'm the singer. I sang for the wedding. The gentleman answered, it doesn't matter who you are or what you did. Your name is not in the book. And you cannot attend the banquet. With that, the maitre d' signaled over to one of the uh, men over to the side by the server's elevator, and the gentleman came over and escorted him to the elevator. The doors opened on the elevator, and they walked in. As they walked by all these tables, that was just beautifully decorated, laden with shrimp and smoked salmon and ice carved sculptures and all these uh, musicians and people that were ready to serve. They walked by them all as they got to the elevator. They stepped into the elevator. They hit G for the parking garage and down they went. After finding their car and driving several miles in silence, Roy looked over and put his hand on Ruth Ann's arm and said, sweetheart, what happened? She said, when the invitation arrived, I was really busy. I never bothered to RSVP. Besides, I'm the singer. Surely I could go to the reception without having to put in my RSVP. And then she started to weep. Not only because she missed a banquet, because then she started to connect this with a spiritual moment in her life. She thought it's going to be the same way for those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. They may get to heaven. Their name's not there. Church, there's only one way to heaven. Jesus Christ said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. Do you know that? Have you confessed that? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? If so, let's get our minds set on the realities of heaven. If not, I invite you today to place your faith in Jesus Christ, the one who saves you, the only one who can save you. Would you please stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, What an amazing God you are. The creator of this universe created all things and you created us and wanting to have a relationship with us. And part of that relationship with you is that someday we will spend eternity with you in your presence with your son, Jesus Christ. And what an amazing day that will be. And we look forward to that and you command us to set our minds on that. But until that day, God, We're here on earth for purpose and reason. 
And it may be that we're here to keep inviting more people to join us in heaven. God, we know that your son proclaimed truth and saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God, we admit that this morning. We confess that this morning, that through your son, Jesus Christ, that's the only way to heaven. By faith, not works, but by faith. So God, this morning we're standing here as we get ready to sing to you. God, if there's somebody in this room that doesn't know you, that's never placed their faith in you, they don't know if their name's been written in the Lamb's Book of Life. This morning, God, we ask that wherever we are in standing, that we just stop and just pray to you right now and ask for forgiveness of our sins that have offended you, a holy God. We place our faith in you, not only to forgive us, but to save us. And God, not just to save us from eternity in hell, but to save us because we want to have a relationship with you, to save us because we want to meet Jesus face to face. We want to fall at his feet and worship him. We want to be in your presence, God. And proclaim that you are God of all gods, the only and one true God. God, for those of us who have placed our faith in you, help us to set our minds on heaven and not on the earthly things. It's such a battle, such a temptation. So God, give us the strength every day to wake up and just, whether we're singing a worship song, we get into your word, help us to set our minds on heaven. Lord, we love you and we want to sing to you now. In your name we pray, amen.